Welcome to Formula 101. I'm Peyton, and this is not your average race recap of Formula 1 races. I'm going to be talking about a lot of exciting things both on and off the track, and I'm so happy you guys are listening with me. Uh this is going to be a fun ride, so thanks for coming along. So hello everyone, welcome back to the second installment of my new mini series. Uh, the ABCs of F1, where I break down basic terminology and jargon of F1 to make it easier to understand. So this sport, as I've said, is full of complicated terms that are thrown around by commentators and drivers. And personally, I realized it was pretty hard for me as a new viewer to jump in and to really understand what was going on. So this episode is kind of a result of that, hoping to make it a lot easier for new fans to jump in and have a good time and be able to understand what's actually going on. So in each of these little 15-minute episodes, I'm going to take it letter by letter as I said, it's the ABCs. So A through Z, and pick a few terms under each letter and explain them as best as I can. So the next time you turn on a race, you'll have a lot better understanding of what's going on. So my first episode was A through C and today is D through F. So the first letter D, the term I'm going to start with is DRS and this stands for drag reduction system. So this system was introduced into F1 in 2011. So it's not a terribly old feature in the sport. And it was meant to encourage and increase overtaking as well as allow drivers to follow the car in front of them a lot more closely. So this has to do with the back wing of the car. That is the central car part that impacts the functionality and kind of the effectiveness of DRS. And it's operated by a push of a button on the driver's steering wheel. So this is actually one of the things the drivers get to control and have sole control over as they race. Cuz a lot of times the engineers on the pit wall can can have some say in what's going on or can control things from that part of the track, but this is actually only controlled by the drivers. And really the purpose, the overall purpose of of DRS is to reduce aerodynamic drag and increase the straight line speed of the car. But DRS isn't something that you can just turn on whenever you want or have on for the entire race. It's something that is only usable on specific parts of the track. And these are called DRS zones, and they are designated zones of usage. And they're usually on straighter parts of the track where there is more time to overtake. Now to even use DRS, the cars must be within 1 second of the car in front of them to activate it. So when the cars are within that 1 second, that little time segment, the driver activates DRS and a flap in the back wing opens, and this is what reduces the drag and allows the car to go faster. Because remember the back wing is blocking air. When it's closed, when it's just this flat surface, it's not allowing air to flow through it. And so when it's opened up that allows another avenue for the air to flow through and thus for the car to go faster. And now the increase of speed can be about 10 to 12 kilometers per hour, which is roughly 6 to 8 miles per hour, which you know, it doesn't sound like a lot, but uh they all kind of reach a speed similar to each other, I guess is the way of saying it. Some of them reach it faster than others obviously, but that 6 to 8 miles per hour can actually do a world of difference for cars as they're going down the straight. 
Now, directly related to drag reduction system to DRS is drag. Like, what is drag? And so this relates to our little discussion of aerodynamics that I had in the first episode of this series. And so remember how we spoke about the flow of air over the back wing and around the car? Well, that's related to drag. So it is the horizontal part of the aerodynamic force generated by the car as it moves through the air. You can think of a synonym for drag as resistance on the car. So F1 cars are designed to be as fast as possible. And so much of that is achieved by the design of the car and the shapes of all the pieces are made to look a certain way, not for an aesthetic choice, but to achieve a car that cuts through the air as quickly as possible. So one of the primary problems a Formula One engineer has to face and one of the questions they have to answer is how to create sufficient downforce in a wing while at the same time reducing the drag that the downforce ultimately creates. So it's a formula they have to balance on both sides. Now, as I was researching this, I couldn't help but ask, what's the difference between downforce and drag? I feel like I didn't really understand the difference between the two terms and felt that I had heard them used interchangeably or hadn't paid attention enough to find the difference. And while the two are related in ways that they are in the kind of conversation of aerodynamics and air, they are different. So downforce correlates more with developing speed in corners so that the car doesn't oversteer or understeer so that they hit the apex. So essentially downforce relates to making sure the driver is going around the corner in the most efficient and quick way possible. But drag, which is actually created by downforce, will reduce the speed of the car in the straights. So like I said, for the question for these engineers is they have to find the ratio between getting the car to be really fast in the corners, but also fast on the straights. It's a hard balance to find and they have to find the middle point between the two. Now moving on to letter E. The first term I want to talk about is ERS, so another acronym, and this one is short for Energy Recovery System, and this has to do with the actual engine unit of the car, and it consists of two parts. So the motor generator unit, or the MGU, converts mechanical and heat energy to electrical energy first, and so this essentially transforms that unit into a generator. The motor generator units, they harness one wasted heat energy from the turbocharger and two wasted kinetic energy from the braking system. So let's start with that second one, which is the MGUK or the motor generator unit kinetic. And like I said, this converts kinetic energy generated under braking into electricity. And it involves something known as ES or energy storage. And since these cars are hybrids, they have batteries. And this electricity is funneled back into those batteries as the car moves. And the batteries are then connected to a crankshaft of the engine, and this in turn helps propel the car. Now the MGUH, which is the motor generator unit heat, connects to the turbocharger of the engine and converts heat energy from exhaust gases into electrical energy. So there's actually a small fan in the tailpipe of the car, 
And as the hot gases that are expelled from the engine rush towards it, it will spin and therefore create energy that is being harvested. You can kind of think about this as those big white wind turbines you see, those really tall ones that are often in canyons or valleys where there's a lot of wind so they can collect that air energy, that wind energy. That's just the same here, just in a lot smaller setting, obviously. Now, the second E term is engine mapping. And this one was actually really complicated to me, so I hope I can break it down for you guys in an understandable fashion. But engine maps are connected to the car's performance and to the different modes that you hear drivers and engineers talk about over the radio. And so in the current hybrid cars, there is an electrical component of control of the car's throttle and engine performance, and this just collects a bunch of numbers and data. So that system, which you could refer as just a computer, maps this data to create a graph, in a sense, of what to expect for the car based on certain factors. So it looks up what's going on with the car and will attempt to find out or predict what's supposed to happen with the engine, and it'll determine things like how much torque the car is going to deliver based on certain factors. So there isn't just one engine map. There's a bunch of them that all feed information to the ECU, which is the electronic control unit, that computer. And the system essentially works to say, okay, based on X amount of throttle and Y amount of RPMs, you can expect Z amount of torque. It's a little, it's another one of these equations. And I like to think of it like a recipe, like mixing up a cookie batter. So depending on the amount of, say, butter or flour you put in, you can expect a certain output and they'll be different. You put in too much butter and the cookies flatten out and they're thin and crispy, which may be what you like, but maybe you put too much flour in and the cookies turn out dry and not very tasty. So the engine mapping works essentially to calculate these recipes and ingredients together and give a prediction or in some ways kind of a look to the future of what the engine should be doing and should look to produce based on those factors. And these maps are similar in the sense that the computer, like I said, determines the ratio of two elements for this desired outcome. And it takes into account things like weather and temperature, uh, and that creates all of these different maps, like I said. But these maps are not the same across the board for all teams and all drivers. These maps can also be referred to as driver demand maps, since the drivers have a big say in how they want the car to function, because after all, that car is meant to best suit their driving style. So they may want it to work where they only push the pedal a little bit and get a lot of torque or vice versa. The main point here is really that each driver's engine maps are different and are fiddled with depending on a variety of factors, including their personal driving preferences and style. So granted, a a lot more information goes into these maps, but that's kind of as basic as I think I can explain it to you guys. Now, lastly, we have the letter F. And now the first one is the FIA, and I'm going to butcher the French pronunciation of it. Essentially, it's the Fédération Internationale de l'Automobile. So it's French, like I said. It's the governing body for the world of motorsport. 
and it kind of manages a bunch of motoring organizations. It's not just F1. They say there are 245 international motoring and sporting organizations that are overseen by the FIA, and it is headquartered in France, and it was founded in 1904, so nearly 45 years before even F1 became an official sport. And they are essentially the sanctioning group. They make the sports rules and regulations, and they are the people who dole out penalties and fines at races. So they're also responsible for certifying cars and tracks and drivers. They do crash testing, scrutineering, grading, licensing. They make sure that the teams aren't cheating, that they're following the rule book. And they're essentially the referees. They're the umpires for the sport, for for motorsport in general. So when you're watching a race and you see that red or orange bar pop up that says, this driver is under investigation, or this driver has been given a five-second penalty, that's a decision that's coming from the FIA. So they're pretty much the people who are making these decisions that impact the race outcome. They're, They're the referees. The last F term is more than one. I'm cramming three into this one because they're all types of laps. I know laps is L, but we're sticking with F here. We're going with formation, flying, and fastest laps. So there honestly seems like there's a million names for different laps during practice qualifying in the race, and they get jumbled in my head a lot. But these are the three I want to highlight. So the first up is the formation lap, which is sometimes called the parade lap. And so before the race, you'll see all the teams on the track with cars, making sure the drivers are ready, doing last minute checks, making sure everything is good to go before the start of the race. So there's hundreds of people bustling around on the grid, but they got to leave, right? So the formation lap gives time for team personnel to exit the grid, take all their equipment with them, and it also helps the drivers to warm their tires before the start. So they go around this track weaving uh, and going back and forth, and that's all to bring heat into the tires. And now the drivers can't overtake anybody. It's not an actual counted lap of the race, but it gives them the opportunity to warm their tires. The second is the flying lap. And this is just another name for a hot lap or a timed lap, any name that has to do with going as fast as you can during a qualifying lap. And so during qualifying or even free practice, even when the driver is ready to put in a lap to improve their time, to go for pole, get out of the elimination zone, you'll hear the commentators say that he's about to start his flying lap. And this means that they're really pushing on this lap and it's important they don't run into traffic or make any mistakes. And the last is the fastest lap, which obviously is pretty self-explanatory, but this really pertains mostly to the race itself on Sunday. And it's obviously the fastest single lap over the course of the race. And you can tell in any session, really, uh, if the driver is going the fastest out of all of them. So this is when his sector times light up as purple. You'll hear the commentator say he's gone purple in sector one, and that tells you that the driver is fastest overall and setting a record for that specific portion of the track. And so during the race, whoever has the fastest lap is awarded an extra point, but they must be within the top 10 to get it. So these are sort of the official names for these laps. I don't know if there's really official quote unquote, because everyone kind of uses their own slang, but these are the ones you'll hear pretty often. 
So that is all I have for today. It's a short one. Uh, I hope you guys are all doing well. I'll keep doing this series and interspersing it with the other episodes, but thank you again for listening, and I will see you next time.